0: This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, <laughs> hit high and right
1: Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's
0: check in with Greg Murphy. Murph, you got a special guest, huh? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Glove Stories with Murph. We are excited about today's program. Uh, thanks to the good folks at Bet Park Sportsbook and Casino App, Shy Vintage Sports, and Phillies Nation for their support of the program. And we welcome in a guy who spent parts of 12 seasons in the big leagues, just one in Philadelphia. But while he was here, he really made a connection with the Philadelphia fans. And we welcome in Jeff Francourt to
2: the program. Frenchie, good to see you. Good to see you, Murph. And I feel like since you have a sponsor that's a casino, it's meant to be for me to be on today. <laughs> you've, you've really helped them out, which now
0: <laughs> they can help us out. We really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so you know what? It, the one season in Philadelphia and your connection, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But I want to go back to the beginning for for Jeff Francois. Growing up uh, in Georgia and uh, a terrific athlete while, while you were growing up in high school, a 2 sports star you actually got a scholarship to go play football at Clemson. And how close were you to doing that? I know you're still a huge Clemson fan to this day, but uh, was football
2: ever really an option for you? You know, what's funny is, you know, now everything you can go see what people sign for in the draft and all that. So I always tell people I'm very truthful. I did, you know, I love football growing up, man. I played it since I was six years old. Yeah. Love the idea of it. But then the Braves gave me 2.2 million reasons not to go to Clemson. Um, So, you know what, man? No, in all seriousness, baseball had always been my first love. And, you know, my dad kind of reminded me, because you know how it is, man. Down in the South playing football, you get recruited, and all of a sudden you're getting calls from Lou Holtz and Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno, and it was like, oh, man, this is real. And you can get carried away in that. But after a while, my dad kind of said, what's your goal for this whole thing? And my goal always was to be a big league baseball player. And he's like, you're going in the first round with the Braves. This is your opportunity to do it. And so as, as close as I like to say I was, I don't think I was ever that close. Interesting.
0: Do you think had you gone and played football uh, at Clemson, were you on track perhaps to be, to be an NFL player?
2: That's the thing. I don't, I, you know, I think I could have been a great college football player. I, I don't know. You know, it's tough to tell. I always say the only thing I wish I could have done is one time I wanted to run down the hill at Clemson at an eight o'clock ABC game or something versus Florida State. That's the only regret I ever have.
0: Well, I'm a Gamecock fan, so I, you know, I don't even understand what you're talking about, but, but but whatever, that's neither here nor there. Well, for baseball fans, uh, certainly your decision was a good one for, for fans in Atlanta, uh, where you spent six seasons. uh, It was a good one. Take me through, you know, you're the hometown kid and you get drafted. By the Atlanta Braves, uh, it's it's a dream come true. But there's a lot I would imagine that kind of goes with that that people maybe don't think about. Uh, what was that? What was that moment like for you when you knew you were headed to the Atlanta Braves organization?
2: It, it was great, and it made it even better, Murph. That you know Brian McCann, my best friend, was the second round pick by the Braves. So here we are playing little league since we were 10 together. And now all of a sudden it's like, man, we're about to do this journey together. So we actually ended up having like a joint party that night. All his friends from his high school came over to my house and all, all my friends, his parents, like, it was just a real surreal moment. Um, You know, to, and, and now, you know, back then we had to listen on the, on the radio, you know, when they announced your name, it's not like today where they got this huge setup on MLB network, like, you're looking here on, on the computer and you see jeff frank and you're like all right you know right. <laughs> so so as cool you know it was really cool you know i, I think as as i got playing it, it it was great until i like to tell people it's the best thing playing in your hometown until you struggle and yeah. then it's like god almighty you got the barber giving you tips on how to hit you know <laughs> and and and, you know, I you know me, Murph, I was, if there's one thing I could change about me when I was younger, I wouldn't be such a people pleaser because I had a hard time saying no to a lot of the stuff, whether it was, you know, charity stuff, which is uh, obviously awesome work. But at some point, there's got to be a line drawn. And for me, I didn't really kind of have a good grasp of that until I got older.
0: Yeah, I would imagine, and you do hear guys that play in their hometown talk about that kind of thing all the time. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into just being a professional athlete, a professional ball player. Uh, you add in the pressures of home, and it makes it that much more difficult. Um, your your mom and dad uh, both school teachers. Do I have that Yeah. Right? Yeah, yep, yep. Um, So, and brother and sister in the, in the family as well. Uh, talk about uh, growing up in in that family dynamic. I would imagine certainly helped shape the person you are today. Right.
2: Oh, uh, for sure. You know, I I tell people all the time and they can't believe it. I actually my junior year was held out of half of a football game by my dad, not the coach, because I lied about a test grade and forged a (laughs) signature. And my dad held me out for half the game in a big game. You know, and I remember our coach going to my dad, you know, look, we'll make him run extra. And my dad, I remember him saying that does not matter to him. He will do any of that. The only way he will learn is by sitting his, you know what, on the sidelines and watching it half. And so it was always that way for me. My dad was a disciplinarian, you know. And now that I have four kids of my own, I'm so glad that he did what he did, and I see why he did it. And you know, my mom was a school teacher for 32 years in the area. was a math teacher. She actually taught Matt Olson, you know, who is now the first baseman with the Braves. We went to the same high school. And and then my brother and sister, of course, you know, were were both ahead of me in school. And then I had the distinction. my sister was like almost like valedictorian. She was so smart. And all the teachers would have me and they'd be like, man, you're not nothing like your sister. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you so much. Yeah. But, you know, I, I always knew my priorities from, from an early age with my mom and dad. And so that is something I was always appreciative. I knew if I didn't have my grades right, if I didn't treat people with respect and behave I wasn't going to get to do what I love, and that was to play baseball and football.
0: Yeah. And you know what? It, it, it seems like such a simple thing, but uh, when you grow up in that kind of atmosphere, it shapes the person you are, but I think it also helps make you successful, even out there on the baseball field, because it, it that kind of foundation is is so important.
2: And not everybody has that. So uh, no, you're right. It's yeah. this this discipline is one of the biggest things. And you yeah. go look at some of the great players in the game today, they're so disciplined in what they do. Um, and it shows out there after 162 games, it'll make a difference. No doubt about it.
0: All right. So then you, you get drafted. We talked a little bit about that. You're with uh, with your buddy, Brian McCann. And you head to the minor league system where yep. for the most part, you know, it seemed to come pretty easy to you. Right. I mean, you, you kind of made a, a fast ascent, right?
2: Yeah, I did. You know, I, I didn't really have many struggles. You know, the, the one big thing that happened in my career was uh, in July 7th of 04, Um, I got hit in the face with a 96-mile-per-hour fastball in Frederick, Maryland. We were playing the Frederick Keys and knocked me out stone cold. I ended up having seven hours of surgery, and I shattered my whole nasal passage, my eye orbital bone. So for about two weeks after the surgery, man, it was hit or miss. I mean, like the doctors weren't 100% sure, you know, if I was going to get my full eyesight back. Um, and, and, so of course that was real scary for me. And, but if anything that taught me, you know, more than anything that, you know, by the grace of God, I was able to play this game and every day I got to run out there. It was, it was, you know, special. And so I think that also helped because I, I realized that I really never took a, a bat for granted after that, you know, I kind of knew what I had and, but it's always cool. I tell people when I tell my story, I got hit in July 7th of 04 in the face. And then July 7th of 05 was my debut against the Cubs at Turner field one year later. So just thinking how much can change in a year is crazy. that is
0: crazy. Um, I recognize that date because uh, you know, I I have have my notes here that that was your major league debut, but let me back up real quick. Uh, What was that? I, 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 you know, we've seen it happen to players before, but I've always wondered, what was it like getting back into the box that first time. I, I I almost can't even fathom the courage that it takes to get back in there and do it again.
2: You know, what's funny is so my first about back, I was going to the Arizona Fall League Murph. So they wanted me to take the rest of the year off. But I said, <laughs> the last thing I wanted was my first about in the Fall League. I knew that's important. I was like, I, I got to get back. So with two and a half weeks left, I convinced the Braves to let me come back, um, showed them I was healthy. And my first at bat in the minors when i came back was against fernando nieve remember who pitched for a while in the big league and i and i you know you face these guys in the minor you get to know him and he knew i was coming back and so i remember seeing him about two hours before the game that day and i remember i purposely went up to him and i said look i know because he had good control he had pinpoint control I said i need you to buzz the tower on me one time i said do not tell me when i said but i need you to come in you know, and back me off the plate a little bit. At some point, I said, I got to get this thing. And so the first pitch was right down the middle at 95, and I was out of the batter's box before (laughs) I was scared to death. But you know what happened? I I actually ended up grounding out that at-bat. My second at-bat, sure enough, first pitch, man, he came up and in, and it was like, okay, I'm okay. And, you know, it still took about a week or two. I didn't hit worth a crap. I might have got two hits, but – It set me up for the Arizona fall league because I went out there and had a great fall. And like anything, man, eventually you got to get over it. You got to realize that it's a part of the game. It's a freak accident. You barely ever see it happen, especially to that extent. And uh, you know, I mean, I never got hit in the the head again, the rest of my career. Yeah. I, I, and I get all of that, but I thought
0: you were going to tell me that you went up to him and said, Hey man, just outside all day no
2: because right? <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's where the football that's where the football mentality I think came in for me of like man I gotta get back in there you know well it obviously
0: was the right call and the right decision <laughs> um that's good stuff all right so yeah a year later. You're called up by the Atlanta Braves uh, July 7th, 2005, uh, midway through the season, and um, you get thrown into the fire. The next, well, you got called up, I guess, on the 6th, right? And then your Major League debut was on the 7th, the second game of a doubleheader. And uh, tell me about that, because I would imagine you wore out the pass list because it was in against the Cubs. So you probably had a bunch of people there, uh, but you made made an impact pretty quickly.
2: Well, it's actually funny because our manager in double A was Brian Snitker, who obviously right. is the manager now for the Braves on the World yeah. Series last year. And we got rained out in Montgomery, Alabama. So I was actually with five teammates. We were doing sake bombs at the, at the local uh, Japanese restaurant next door. For and sure he was. knew it. So he actually texts me and was like, hey, you might want to quit that. You might want to come up to my room. So I had a little bit of a feeling and I got up there and him and the other two coaches had a couple beers, cheered for me. And, you know, Snit, I, I grew up in an area not far from Brian Snicker. So I've known Brian since I was probably like nine or ten just in the area. So it was really special to have him tell me I was going to the big leagues. And then J.J. Piccolo, who's now the GM of the um, the Royals with Dayton up there in Kansas City, drove he yeah. drove. Yep. He, yes, he is. We always talk about the Eagles, man. The <laughs> Eagles and Falcons. We always had money on it every year. But so we drove. Um, he drove me all the way to Atlanta. I get at one in the morning, and I love it because I'm probably one of the few that actually spent the night in their childhood homes before their first day for the first game in the big league. I get there 10:30 the next morning. We have a day night double header against the Cubs, and Jerome Williams was pitching game two. Former Philly was a teammate oh, no. of mine, and then. Um, Mark Pryor was pitching game one. And I remember Bobby saying, I'm going to play you in one of the two. Which one do you want to play? And I said, yeah, I'll probably play the nightcap. And, And, you know, honestly, it was the best thing because I sat in the dugout the whole first game. I almost pinch hit, actually, in the eighth inning. But I sat in the dugout and was able to kind of watch everything. And I really think that was huge because it took a – the anxiety was building because I knew I was going to play that night. But at the same time, I kind of got to see the speed of the game see how things worked in the dugout and so by the time I got to the game man it was great 45,000 that night you know word had spread obviously that I was playing that night game and so it it was a moment I'll never forget you know and I was 0 for 3 with two strikeouts going into my last AB and I had a 3-2 count and I had you know Glendon Rush who I tell you my favorite player in the big leagues because he hung me a changeup and I hit one dead center. And I, I still to this day, I, I honestly will tell you, I do not remember running around the bases. I think I just was floating. Yeah. And, um, you know, and crossed home plate, looked up and saw my whole family. And, you know, you've met my dad before up there in Philadelphia. He's got the mustache. He's a no-nonsense type guy. And, honestly, it was the first time in my career I ever looked up and saw my dad going nuts and cheering. And I yeah. had never seen him do that.
0: I got to be honest, it gives me chills when you tell that story. I mean, I love yeah. hearing those stories. And all of you guys uh, uh, have a story of your Major League debut. And that, it's just so great. The family's there. I'm sure lots of uh, friends uh, were there as well. And, uh, and And I guess once you do that, the anxiety level comes
2: down. And now you can just go out and do what you've been doing your whole life. And that's play baseball, right? And that's the great thing, man. You know, Bobby was awesome to come up for. You know, he gave you – he doesn't give you this – feel good speech when you come in he you know i came into his office he said i'm pumped to have you here you know you got 15 20 days show me what you got and yeah. you know it was great because he cheered for you he was behind you and it was awesome man i i gotta do something that a lot of people don't get to do i gotta play alongside andrew jones yes in the freaking prime of his career in center field and you know i, I still to this day think you know him and willie mays for me are one two and outfielders. I mean Andrew was incredible and so that that made it great too. Yeah, you you played with a
0: lot of great teammates. We're going to get to that in a minute. But uh that year 2005, you did make an impact. You batted 300, you had 14 mm-hmm. home runs, 45 RBIs and you finished you played 70 games. So you finished third in the rookie of the year voting in 2005. And then you come back in 06 and had you not qualified in 05 you know, you probably win the Rookie of the Year in 06 because your 06-year numbers were just off the charts. Uh, 05, a
2: guy named Ryan Howard ended up winning. Yeah, he, he ended up hitting, I think, yeah, that, <laughs> that big old monster ended up hitting about 14 home runs in September. And yeah. I always gave, whenever I got to first base, I always told him, like, you stole that rookie of the year from me, man. <laughs> yeah, he uh,
0: he had a good run there for a little yeah. while, Ryan Howard, uh, one of our favorites. Um, yeah, But, me uh, but in too. 2006, you come back uh, and you play all 162 and really had uh, probably your best season of your career. Um, it, but it was at that time, you know, you're playing in your hometown. The Sports Illustrated article uh, had come out prior, the year before, people don't know what I'm talking about. You're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, the natural, yep. you know, and we talked a little bit about the pressure of playing in your hometown. There was, there was a lot coming at you at that point. And you're what, 22, 23 yeah. years
2: old? That <clears> 22.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how difficult was handling all that? Because of course you love it, but it does add to, to everything.
2: No, it does. You always felt the, the pressure to perform every day i think that's a good thing because you want to have expectations you don't want you know anybody to have anything and you know we, we were lucky myself brian mccann kelly there's a bunch kelly johnson mm-hmm. there's a bunch of young guys that we came up together so it's good we were able to kind of stick together at times but you know tim hudson chipper jones Smoltz, glav those guys were so good at inviting us everywhere whether it's dinner or golf you know or any of that stuff you know so they made us feel real comfortable you know when we came in now you know they ragged us and they had good things you know i still think one of the great stories for me was the day my sports illustrated came out so i did a shoot for sports illustrated i didn't know it was going to be on the cover they told me there was a chance right and so we're in chicago playing wrigley field my first ever game there that night and when i'm playing cards with a couple of the guys at like three o'clock and our PR guy comes in and just throws about 60 stacks on the table <laughs> and it spreads. Well, you can imagine chipper and those guys who'd never even been on Sports Illustrated cover. They're like, "Oh my god, you got to be kidding me." Exactly. You know, so I I I I of course, you know, felt very confident going into the game that night. And then between you and me, you know what happened? I got the hat trick by Carlos Zambrano and he blew every fastball by me. And I remember coming back in and we ended up winning the game 2-1 and I sat up my locker and Chipper Jones goes, natural my ass. <laughs> so, so that, they- teammates had a good way to keep you keep you grounded always always and, that, and you know what
0: that's what it's all about too because yeah. that's an important part of it as well let's talk about some of the teammates that you played with because you played with guys you know obviously hall of fame talent hall guys that should be in the hall of fame uh you know and and here in philly obviously you play with brian and you played with chase and mm-hmm. uh, you, you mentioned chipper you mentioned I, I think you crossed over with dale murphy at, at the very beginning did you or no no i guess not no i'm not no, that old yeah, no, not that old no i, I but, know
2: this but i, but know, this I, know, you grace, do, I know you know no.
0: yeah <laughs> i should i should have known that uh but but so many guys so many guys that you did uh play with and i would imagine you take pieces from from all of those guys and as then you become an older player you're giving pieces back to some of the young guys right
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, you know, I played with so many great teammates and and against them, you know, so many times and probably one of the most surreal moments I'll never forget. One of the coolest moments of my career was I came in the weight room one day at like one, I got the, you know, when you're young, you get there really early and uh, I walk in the weight room and I look over and I see this guy on the treadmill and it was Hank Aaron. Yeah. And we were the only two in the weight room there and he ended up getting off the treadmill. And we talked for about 30 minutes about hitting and all this. And, you know, when he passed last year, you know, I went to his funeral. Um, and it was just, it was unbelievable to see the people that were at this thing that had meant. And just to think that I had those 30 minutes, that's all I kept thinking about, you know, that here I was with Hammer and Hank. Um, so, so, you know, that was a cool thing. I was part of a, a rich organization that. You know, had a lot of great players. You did talk about Murph, Dale Murph. Murph came back all the time, man. Yeah, he was yeah. all these games, and so, you know, it was always fun. And of course, playing against you know Philly in the prime when they were going through it, you know, it was it was awesome. I love playing against Chase and and Jimmy, and you know, Chase got hit what ten times a year by Tim Hudson, you know, just <laughs> going in every time, uh, <laughs> you know. But it, it was those were some of the best days because of just the competitive nature of the game. And I'm not going to say it's not competitive anymore, but you know, we always said hi to those guys, you know, but when we got on the field, man, there was no slapping rears. There was no, no you know, it was like, I'm here to beat your brains out. And that was always fun.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I kind of miss that mentality a little bit. So I, do I, I. I know A lot of people do. I know a lot of people do. All right. So, so then let, let's fast forward because uh, you're, you're, uh, you come to an end in Atlanta. Were you surprised when, when you got traded uh, by the Braves to the Mets?
2: Well, I was in a way. At the same time, I'm not going to get into how this all happened, but the GM, Frank Rand, I like to say, would have traded me for a bag of balls at that point. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. Gotcha. Um, but you know what? It ended up being a great thing for me, man. I got to go to New York. I'll never forget when Bobby told me I was traded to the Mets, and I remember thinking – the Mets like i'm supposed to hate this team you know and literally 17 hours later i'm playing right field in city field you know and i'm like this is weird but if anything it, it, it taught me a good lesson cuz i realized like right away this is a business man and you know as much as i love playing in land and stuff i think it was a good healthy time for me to get away and kind of you know make a niche somewhere else you know at, at another place and so you know that 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 you know as tough as it was um, I think it also ended up being a blessing in disguise. Yeah, you know, I, I, when I was looking back at uh you know the full career, I was
0: I, I didn't realize that you had played with eight different French. I mean, I knew you had played uh, Yeah. I would have said five or six if someone would have asked, but the eight different franchises. And again, you know, as, as that experience is playing in the big leagues, we all know is, a, is a difficult thing. Staying in the big leagues is a difficult thing. And, you know, no matter what the pedigree is and, and, you know, what season you had at this point, at this point, you have to perform all the time. And for you, there was a, there was a time where, you know, staying in the big leagues, you know, was, was an effort and, and uh, you fought and you went back to the minors a little bit and yeah. tell me a little bit about uh, About how that shapes the kind of ball player that you are.
2: Well, for eight and a half years, you know, I just played every day and never really, even when I got traded and struggled and then went to Kansas City for two and a half years, you know, I played every day. I started and, you know, I had to go back to El Paso with San Diego in 14. And, you know, a guy that I give a lot of credit to my career is Pat Murphy, who's the bench coach in Milwaukee, man. And, you know, he was a longtime coach at Notre Dame, Arizona State. And, you know, he honestly, Between him and my wife, you know, those two really kept me going in El Paso. Because there's many days, Murph, where I kind of woke up and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, I'm like, but those guys kept pushing me, kept pushing me. And, you know, Murph said, dude, you got so much left in the tank. And, you know, I kind of was, you know, as he kept saying that, I kept getting better. I kept, you know, honestly, I had fun again, man. I had like seven pitching appearances down there. He actually, Murph actually threw me in a three-to-one game in the eighth inning. Yeah, and I came in and got two outs, and it was great because he actually got a phone call from the farm director after, said you cannot put a position player in in a three one <laughs> game with a full bullpen use, and then of course it's Pat. Well, I love Pat. Pat said, "Well, Frenchie was our best chance to stay in the game." You know, <laughs> he knew he knew that. Uh, host. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, it taught me to have fun again, and and like I said, another moment in my career when I finally got back to the big leagues, I'm like, you know what, man, I ain't going back.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it, it again, it, it just changes and sets perspective for sure. Um, all right. Well, you mentioned two things I want to get to before I have to let you go, because I know we're running out of time. But you mentioned 2014 El Paso and and one of the great uh, baseball traditions are baseball pranks. They pull pranks on on guys all the time but here you are a guy that had spent years in the big leagues and uh, you come back to El Paso, you're an unlikely target for a prank, but yet one of the Epic ones pulled on you by Pat Murphy and, and, and a cast of thousands. Tell us that story in in a nutshell real quick.
2: Well, I show up the last day of spring training with them, you know, because I was in Cleveland for camp. Um, and so I, I literally show up, we're taking BP. I smoke a ball to left field BP, and all the pitchers scatter. They're having a, a meeting and except one guy. And I, I turned to – I'm like, what the hell's wrong with that guy? And, I mean, without blinking, Murph goes, oh, you didn't know he's deaf. And I was like, get out of here. And he goes, no, seriously, he's, he's deaf. One of the first AAA deaf players, you know, blah. I was like, dang, man. I was like, no crap. So the next morning we had a team meeting at 11 o'clock before we flew out. Well, I didn't know it, but they had a meeting at 930, and the whole team basically got in on this thing. So for 17 days, I believe one of my teammates was deaf, and you should have seen it, man. We were in Tacoma, and he threw like a a perfect inning, and I came in, man, and you know me. I patted him on the chest real hard. I was like, great job, you know, (laughs) screaming in his face. He never broke stride. We would be on the plane, you know, headed to wherever we were, He would never put earphones on. He'd just sit there with a dead stare and look ahead. And finally, we're in Tacoma. And it was like a day after my dad actually came up. And Pat came and said, you got to come in the locker room to see what a dumb, you know, what your son is. (laughs) And they show me this video of him talking and him. And I mean, I've always been a prankster. You know that. So, like, they got me to the ultimate thing. And people always ask me, like, did you get mad? Did you get them back? I said, no, I actually bought. A, a steak dinner the next night wherever we were everywhere for the whole team. Cause I was like, I had never been got like that before. And you know, it was, it was pretty amazing. So I always tell people, I'll tell the story one time they can ask me about it once the second time they get a punch, they get a punch. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was treading lately. I, you know, no, you're good.
0: <laughs> it's a great story. And, uh, it, it's, you know, getting the, the prankster getting pranked is always a, a lot of fun. Cause you are such a, a fun loving guy and a guy that, uh, you know, teammates love so it, it all happens for a reason. They're not going oh, yeah. to, yeah, they're not going to do that to a guy that they don't think that uh, can handle it and, and have some fun with it. Certainly, you could. All right, um, before I let you go, I got to ask you about your your time in Philadelphia. Yep. like I said at the beginning of the program, only one year here, but but I feel like you connected not only with this city, but with our fan base, you know, with the organization as well. Um, you know, it wasn't a very good team, and there was a lot that went on during that season. Yep. But but still, what, what do you remember about your time here in Philly?
2: Well, you know, as I got to thinking where I wanted to go in 15, Charlie Manuel reached out to me. And Chucky will always have a special place in my heart. You know, I tell the story all the time. You used to come on deck as a Brave, and I'd look over there in the dugout at, at Citizens Bank, and Charlie would sit there and he'd look at you like, hit a homer. You know, and he's like <laughs> saying this to me on the other he just team. He watch. <laughs> he loved homers. And <laughs> – You know what? That actually worked out great because Ryan Howard was coming off still a bad year with his Achilles. And me and Ryan have got a pretty good friendship over the years. And you know what? For six weeks, man, me and him went to work with with Charlie in spring training. We were on the backfields. You remember it, man. We were putting in the work. And so when I got a chance there, I remember thinking Philadelphia. I'd been there all the years as a visiting player, love the passion of the fans. But I had no idea how much I would love playing in Philadelphia, and you know, my wife and I had our little daughter. She was pregnant with our son. We would go to Little Three Bears Park almost every day. Push, push our kid. Go to the Reading Market. You know, and I had a great year there, man. I mean, it. I, I thrived in that atmosphere. You know, I'm I, in a way of like Chase Utley. You remember? I remember Chase telling me like and I always played hard. He said, dude, just play hard and these fans will love you. And, you know, that's what I did. And, you know, as well as I, I've told you the story, I know a lot of people know, I was so disappointed when I couldn't come back. And we were actually working on a deal with Ruben Amaro and Scott Profrock, who I absolutely love. And then, you know, everything kind of happened. Clintech got hired and, you know, look, I get it. Guys bring their own guys in and want it, but I, I that's the only honestly one of the only regrets I have in baseball is that I could not go back to Philly in 16, man. I wanted to so bad. And people are always like, Yeah, but you got to come back to your hometown team with the Braves. And I'll be honest, it was tough because my heart was in Philly, man. And I, I really was upset because I just I loved playing there, man. I loved the challenge. Even though we weren't good, the fans there expected us to be good and expected the best every time. And it it brought the best out of me. But, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. But it's always great because, you know, just like a couple weeks ago when I came back, when I see everybody there, it, you know, it's been seven years and it feels like it was yesterday. Everybody, That'd you agree. know, they love, they, they love me, they hug me. How's it going? How's the family? And so I tell people this too. There's no better place that they treat families than Philadelphia Phillies. The family room, uh, the way they, you know, just the wives. I mean, it, it was an incredible place to play.
0: Yeah, well, make no mistake—you you, know—you get what you give, and and, and yep. that's the kind of person you were, uh, and I'm sure right through your career, but certainly uh, with your time in Philadelphia. All right, final question, because and you just mentioned is that you're very good at the transition. You should get into TV and radio at some point yes. in your career. Um, but uh, you mentioned uh, the wives, and, and and I was surprised to learn because I did extensive research for this podcast, so I read your Wikipedia page, and 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 in that, I did not realize that you met your wife. In great in grammar school, third grade, third grade at a birthday party. I I did not know that. Uh, Were you guys friends throughout or did you reconnect in high school? We were
2: we were friends. We went to um, we went to, you know, like seventh grade Valentine's Day dance. Um, We went to ninth grade homecoming. But she but she never she never would date me because she said I was too cocky, which she probably was so (laughs) true. (laughs) and finally our senior year of high school we started dating and i remember i went over there i'm like look i might be cocky but i know you like me and i like you so let's do this and uh you know but it it was always great because you know as i as i told you you know there's not a lot of wives that would after eight and a half years leave the big league lifestyle and go live in a two-bedroom apartment in el paso texas with a little bit she did and um, you know, she always kind of picked up and went wherever wherever we made had to make home. And so, you know, it was it was really cool to have someone that you've known forever, all our families and everything. Now, her dad will tell you the thing that sucked about it, we had 550 people at our wedding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and well. I remember I remember after our wedding, um, because we had, you know, all our childhood friends, she went right. to UGA, and then of course, all my baseball friends. And I remember her dad coming up to me and said, Someday you'll realize, but it was like I just for our wedding, he goes, It's like I bought two Mercedes and four hours later drove them off a cliff. He goes, So I hope you enjoyed this night. And now but I, I did <laughs> I did tell him I said I took your daughter off the payroll at twenty-two, so I'm probably actually getting the raw end here. Yeah, call me when I when
0: I'm fifty two, and then we'll, we'll yeah, Exactly. Up. We'll be okay. No uh, doubt. It's a great story. And she she is uh she's great. Katie's is, is terrific and uh you're a lucky guy for sure. I am. In so many ways. Uh, um, Jeff, I, this has been a lot of fun. I, I know you got uh, some responsibilities for your other job now that uh, you, you are in television. And, and so uh, we're going to have to let you go. But really appreciate your time. Appreciate the the stories and the insight and the friendship over the years. Um, you're one of the one of the real good ones for sure. And uh, it, uh, well, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Murph, man. Y'all are the best. And uh, anytime you need anything, you know, I'm right here. I I, I do know that. Thank you. Jeff
0: Francoeur joining us here on Glove Stories. We'll take a quick break. But when we come back, Charlie Manuel, Larry Boa will join us. So stay with us. The all new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app is here for both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Get in on all the action, whether it's baseball, the basketball and hockey playoffs, golf, all your favorite sports. Download the all new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app and make your first bet risk free up to $750. Bet more than the score. Bet on individual player performances for hits, home runs, and strikeouts. Bet innings, first team to score, and more. Bet Parks is the only sportsbook and casino app that I recommend. The Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, where odds, bets, slots, and games all come together in perfect harmony right in your pocket. Sportsbook and all your favorite casino games for real money all in one amazing app. Live in-game betting lets you bet while you watch the game. Download right now in the App Store, Google Play Store, or at BetParks.com and use my promo code, MURPH. Bet Parks is also an official proud betting operator of the PGA Tour. The all new Bed Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. You must be 21 and in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler.
1: Welcome to This Week in Philly Baseball History, presented by Shy Vintage Sports. This week in 2005, Bobby Abreu broke home run derby records with 24 homers in the first round and 41 overall at the All Star Game in Detroit. A year later, Ryan Howard outslugged rivals David Wright and Miguel Cabrera to win the derby in Pittsburgh. Celebrate more Philly sports history with clothing from Shibe Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Visit them at 13th and Walnut Streets or at scheibsports.com.
0: Philly's Nation is your source for breaking news, original analysis, trade insights, and more. Read today's articles at (laughs) PhilliesNation.com. And welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph, and it's the time on the podcast where we welcome in Larry Boa and Charlie Manuel to get their thoughts on the, well, some big topics in baseball. And I thought we could have some fun with this one, guys, today because when we sit around in the broadcast booth, or when you guys are sitting around just chatting, everybody wants to fix the game of baseball, right? You know, it's not a perfect game, and 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 there's some things that have happened over the course of the last couple of years uh, that uh, maybe have have kind of tweaked it from when you guys played and managed. <coughs> So I'm giving you the opportunity to be the commissioner of baseball for the day and uh, give me your thoughts on how you would change the game. And, Larry, I'll start with you.
3: Uh, is, is there a particular rule or, or just a mindset that you would that you would pick first? Well, there's a bunch of them, but the one that stands out in my mind, Murph, and, and Charlie and I have talked about this is extra inning games putting a man on second. Oh, yeah. And and you know what? And Charlie made a great point. He says, you know, the idea of winning a division is being able to endure an 18-inning game, come back the next day. That tells you how strong your, your roster is, how your farm system is. But you put a guy on second base after the ninth inning, to me, that's a, that's a big-time joke. That's making a farce out of the game. Uh, if you're a good baseball team, you can overcome an 18-inning game and then come back the next day, even if it's a day game. It shows you how good your ball club is. It, it shows you how strong your farm system is if you have to pull up some kids from the minor leagues. But the way it's situated right now, you know, you, very seldom. The other day they happened to have a 13-inning game with the Yankees and Cubs, but most of the time those games that are over by the 10th, 10th or the 11th inning. But that's the one rule that I think is is should not be in there Let these guys play, figure it out, and you're going to find out how good your ball club is over the course of 162 games,
0: I could not agree with you more. I, I I'm totally on board with that. I can't stand it. I think we've only played one 11 inning game since the new rule was in place. So only one time did did, did the Phillies go into the 11th inning. It always right. ended in the 10th in their extra inning games. Some of the best memories I have growing up watching baseball and listening to baseball on the radio is you know into the wee
3: hours of the night as the game stretches 13, 14 well, innings, right? You know what, Murph? We had a game against San Diego that ended up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning because yeah. we had a doubleheader. Mitch Williams ended up winning the game. He got exactly. a base hit. We, we had a day game. The next, the next day we had a day game. Half the guys just stayed there and slept. But that, that's, the, that's the part of, of knowing how good your ball club is. Yeah. Uh, this stuff about, oh, you've got to worry about your pitching. We don't have enough pitching. Well, you know what? That's on your organization not having enough depth in your, in your uh, uh, organization where you can't go down there and pick up a pitcher or two. But to me, that, that it's amazing that you can do that during the whole season. Now, once the playoff starts, right. we're not going to do that anymore. Exactly. So that, that tells you right there, it's not that good a rule.
0: I agree with you. I, I wonder if that will change. You know, it may go away after this year. We will see. I hope right. It does. All right, Charlie, your turn. You are now commissioner of baseball. Uh, what are you doing to help the game?
4: I, uh, time of game, okay. the time of game, you know, like we talk about it and I think about it sometimes and we've made probably in the last five, six, seven years, we make all these changes about uh, striving for shortening the game and things like that. We haven't, so far we haven't worked anything out. Uh, what we've done actually is uh, it, it seems to me like the games are even longer. <laughs> and when we do, and when we do pass a, a rule or something, uh, where we think it's going short in the game, all of a sudden we'll pick up something else. We'll we'll make the the commercials longer, or 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 we do something in the game. You know, like to take that time up. Yeah. And I I would definitely uh, uh, want to see you know like how we can cut the game. Uh, they got a uh, right now they're experimenting the minor leagues on the fourteenth 14th, fourteenth uh, 14th pit, uh, second pitch uh, yep. clock, pitch clock things yep. like that. I don't know how, I don't know if I like it or not yet, but I did see in, uh, uh, Lehigh Valley. I did see, uh, what about a, I don't know, but, a almost 20 minute change in, yeah. in, in a game oh, that, that, a that they said about, but at yeah. the same time I would change the game, you know, like the time of the game, but yeah, I, also, uh, Murph, but, uh, there's another one I would definitely change. And I think it, uh, I, I would change the, the uh, three batter rule. Yeah. And and the reason is I think that it brings, the, it brings more decision-making for the, uh, the manager. And also, you know, like he can match up his bullpen better. And that's the same. Uh, when I look around and I see, and, uh, we look at a roster and we got, uh, anywhere from 13 to 16 pitchers, I think it, uh, I think that's way too many, and 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 also when you got them down there, you know, like you're gonna to try to find a place to use some of. Them. Yeah. So you know, like I, I think in the long run that takes up time.
0: Right, and and they thought that was gonna be one of those rules that helped speed things up. It has not, not at all. No. And to your point, maybe even added time to the game. All right, so two good ones from Charlie that, that you would change, Larry. You got you got another one for us.
3: Yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of against the uh, the the play at second base, uh, breaking up a double play. I mean, you got a man on first and third, and it's a two-to-two two game in the eighth inning. Your job as a guy on first is to upset the guy set. Now, I'm not saying go out of your way, but the, if you slide over the bag now, it's an automatic double play. And, you know, back in the day, and I know it's not the same, guys used to come in and elbow you and try to knock you into left center field. But you you accepted that. That was all part of the gig. Uh, but now it's like, oh, you can't touch a second baseman uh, if you slide over the bag, that one hand has to be a body length by the bag that's out the window now so you got to go straight in the bag and not go over the top of it uh i think it takes away the competitiveness of the game and like i said you get in the eighth inning ninth inning top of the ninth first and third one out and they're playing for two you got a chance to win the game by not even getting a hit by breaking up a double play yeah. i think that rule's got to go out
0: I, I agree with you, and I would throw the, the at home plate right on top of that, and I agree. put it all together. You know, a yep. I, I, I like look again, not not blatant. You know, linebacker versus running back kind of right. uh, collisions, but certainly the, the whole idea of being able to block the plate it, it should be allowed in baseball. I mean, it, we, it's a big part of the defensive side of being a catcher, right?
3: You, you know what, Murph? If 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 this catcher wants to block home plate, let him. Yeah. And if they don't, they don't have to. That, exactly. I mean, Mike Sosia was probably the best. He would plant at home plate you'd have to go through him or you're not getting to the plate but he knew he was going to get hit so if a catcher is strong enough and big enough and believes in what he's doing can block the plate let him do it yeah i mean he's putting himself at risk but if he wants to do it uh, i just see too many sweep tags now that if they block the plate these runners are out and the reason they're doing the sweep tags because they can't block home plate so that's another rule i agree with that 100 percent
0: Totally. Hey, one of my favorite stories that Sarge tells all the time uh, is involves the play at second base where he was on first and uh, ground ball to the infield and Ozzie Smith was at short and he is Barreling towards Ozzy Smith, and he says, I'm thinking to myself, I am going to go right through him and knock him into the left field. And he said, And I get right there, and Ozzy's right there in front of me, and I slide. And next thing you know, I'm bouncing over the bag and I'm rolling into the left field. And Ozzy's nowhere <laughs> to be seen. And then Ozzy looks down at him and he goes, That's two.
2: <laughs> so, so, you know, I,
0: it, it, it's, it's part of the game, it's the personality of the game. So, um, yeah, that's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, very, very good rules. Uh, I think a couple of those might actually get changed. So maybe uh maybe we've done some good today here on, on Well, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. We'll see. We'll keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, Larry, Charlie, we'll see you next week, guys. Thanks.
1: All see right. You. Thanks, Mark. Welcome to This Week in Philly Baseball History, presented by Shab Vintage Sports. This week in 2005, Bobby Abreu broke home run derby records with 24 homers in the first round and 41 overall at the All-Star Game in Detroit. A year later, Ryan Howard outslugged rivals David Wright and Miguel Cabrera to win the derby in Pittsburgh. Celebrate more Philly sports history with clothing from Shab Vintage Sports where there's a story in every stitch. Visit them at 13th and Walnut Streets or at shopsports.com. The all-new
0: Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app is here for both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Get in on all the action, whether it's baseball, the basketball and hockey playoffs, golf, all your favorite sports. Download the all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app and make your first bet risk-free up to $750. Bet more than the score. Bet on individual player performances for hits, home runs and strikeouts. Bet innings, first team to score, and more. Bet Parks is the only sportsbook and casino app that I recommend. The Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, where odds, bets, slots, and games all come together in perfect harmony right in your pocket. Sportsbook and all your favorite casino games for real money, all in one amazing app. Live in-game betting lets you bet while you watch the game. Download right now in the App Store, Google Play Store, or at BetParks.com and use my promo code, Murph. Bet Parks is also an official proud betting operator of the PGA Tour. The all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. You must be 21 and in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Phillies Nation is your source for breaking news, original analysis, trade insights, and more. Read today's articles at PhilliesNation.com. Glove Stories with Murph is sponsored by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, along with Shine Vintage Sports and Phillies Nation, and is a presentation of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of the major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2022 Major League Baseball season.